Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So when they take the silver dollar, Former Kansas City Police Department intelligence detective and now attorney Gary Jenkins produced four documentary films, most recently Gangland Wire, creator of smartphone app entitled Kansas City Mob Tours. Download it now. If you like what you hear, go to ganglandwire.com. Navigate to the shop page. We need you to put a hit out on our donate button. Gangland Wire True Crime Stories is produced at the Big Dumb Fun Show Studio 4. And now, here's Gary Jenkins. Welcome back, folks. This is your host, Gary Jenkins. I'm here in the uh, studios of the Big Dumb Fun Show, Studio 4, down in the basement of the Ice House, right down here on Wyandotte in Kansas City, with my friend and co-host, Aaron. Say hello, Aaron. Hello, Aaron. Welcome back to the uh, second of a two-episode series on mob hits in Kansas City. Now, last week we talked a little bit about the uh, early days of hits and and how they ambushed people mainly and talked about the two different tactics. Tonight we're going to talk a little more about the second tactic. The first tactic is to you just ambush them wherever you can find them. The second tactic is you need to isolate people and get them out of the public view. Don't take any chances that the police will drive by. As the hits going down, like what happened to uh, Charlie Gargata and, and Tano Lococo in 1933 when the sheriff of Jackson County stumbled into the middle of a hit that they were doing. They had to pull every string they could to get out of that one, and, and they had enough strings to pull that they did get out of it. So, uh, uh, you know, in, in modern times— Because yeah, Gargata was acquitted. He was acquitted, yeah. The uh, the Kansas City Police Department, and, and at that point in time, why Johnny Lazia had an office right up there and right next to the chief of police because Tom Pendergast put him in there, and he put the chief of police in there. So uh, he had uh, Johnny Lazia could just call down the property room and say, hey, you know, we don't really want that gun to appear in trial, do we? And and they knew what he was talking about. So and I'm just guessing on that one. But it, something like that happened. Well, somebody was con- was a police officer convicted of tampering with the evidence. Correct, correct. And Charlie Gargata was found not guilty. And Tana Lococo, since they didn't really have that good a case on him, he had gotten away that night. They only had... Uh, uh, the say so of the uh, the deputy that chased him. Why uh, they didn't even try to get him? It, it, it's just too. It was too hard to convict. It's always been hard in Jackson County to convict a mob guy until most recent times. So it's always been the feds that have had to go after him. They were too uh, 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 too intertwined with Jackson County politics. Um, too many connections there that go way back into the 30s. So uh, you know, let's. Uh, uh, you know, let's I'll say one thing. We're, we're going to do this podcast live on November the 4th from 6 to 7. We'll have a meet and greet and 7 to 9. We will record our podcast with special guest Terrence O'Malley and we'll talk about the mob and the politicians in Kansas City. Should be a very informative show. And uh, 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 tickets are five dollars. Tickets are five dollars, and and I know you're wondering where this is. It is at the Uptown Arch Bar, 3611 Broadway. In Kansas City, Missouri. In Kansas City, Missouri, yeah. And there's only about 65 seats in the room, 120 in the venue. Right. So, so get there earlier. Buy tickets at my website, www.ganglandwire.com, on the shop page. And I have a way you can buy tickets there. I've, I've sold a few already, and they're starting to go. We have a Facebook event page up, too. 
Didn't you have somebody you wanted to thank? Oh, you did in the I, last episode. I, I did, uh, 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 Stacy Gaither, and I've got one more that I don't have their name. Again, I'll get it next time. You'll record it in and put uh, it in I'll the record post. it in the next podcast. So, uh, uh, um, and, and no, I want to thank my friend Joe from Florida. I hope you're listening to these, Joe. Joe is... Uh, Joe knows a whole lot about this stuff that we're talking about, and he really is entertained by my blog entries that that I write because uh, he knew some of these guys personally. But let's fast forward to more modern times and attempting to ambush people. Um, when we're was, talking about mob hits. Mob hits was still going on, and I'm going to tell you one about an ambush of the who beca- man who became the boss in the Kansas City family a few years later, Nick Savella. And he had gotten in trouble because he had been robbing protected games. See, there's rules in the mob. And if the mob protects a business, whether it be a bar or an illegal gambling game or a whorehouse or whatever, back in those days they had whorehouses, actual apartment buildings and big houses that would have several prostitutes that worked there with a madam just like you might see in the movies. And and they would pay off to the mob guy, and you would have illegal gambling games all over the city, and they would pay off to the mob. And that was that was their protected games. It was protected, and and Nick Savella had a little crew that was running around robbing those games, and so he had and and one of his guys was a guy named uh, I think it was Robert Maroon, and uh, they killed him on the street, and and Nick was was uh, kind of laying low, but not that low. Uh, he was sitting in his car in the parking lot of Trucker's Liquor Store at Truman, just west of Prospect. I do have this one in my app, too. And uh, it's it's a auto parts store now in the parking lot there. Uh, and uh, he had met up with a Jackson County deputy named Louis Cuchilla. And for some reason, Nick slid over and sat in the passenger seat while Cuchilla sat in the driver's seat. Car of, enter- of Nick's car. Of Nick's car, yeah. A car enters the parking lot. Two men exit that car with actual real deal machine guns and they kill the deputy thinking they're killing Nick because he 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 would have been the driver, supposedly. But he wasn't. He was on the right hand side and he was away from the machine guns. And so he just bailed out the right hand side and and went running down behind the liquor store and, and entered the neighborhood and got away. He left for Chicago and didn't come back for a couple of years until he brokered a deal to come back and be safe. But there's, there, you know, like that hit, nobody could do that hit without the boss. At that time was, I think it was Big Jim Ballesteri, without the boss saying, yeah, you can hit him. Nobody does a hit without the boss uh, uh, approving of that hit. Well, they had to figure out somehow that it was Nick Savella that was robbing the protected games. Yeah, not too hard to do. I mean, he showed up. He didn't wear a disguise or a mask. Even if he did, they'd just ask around and say, you know, who who hit that game? And and somebody in his little gang would talk. Would had been talking to somebody. I mean, when you're in that subculture, you know, you own a lot of people out there in that subculture, and their loyalty better be to you as the boss and the boss's henchman, not to some upstart named Nick Savella, because he was an upstart. Nobody cared about him at this point in time. So uh, Nick got away, and, and and so that was kind of a you know one of the uh, an ambush that that failed. But you know, fast forward to now, Nick becomes a boss in 1957, and and during the 1960s, and and Nick probably he probably told people because Nick knows he always knew the value of staying out of the newspapers, of keeping the mob away from violent crime in the general public. And so when you go shoot up a car in the general public, the newspaper headlines, and, and there's a picture of the car. I, it's in Bill Owsley's book, Open City. There's a picture of the car, you know, with about 100 bullet holes in it. And so that was in the newspapers. And, and so, but you do it quietly, and it's less likely to make the newspapers. And if you don't get caught and you do it quietly, it's just usually one more criminal got killed by unknown persons and nobody cares. Just ends up in the police blotter. Right, pretty much. Just a little line in the police blotter. Exactly, uh, Aaron. So uh, there was a hit that they wanted to do on a guy named Kenny Sheets. Kenny Sheets, the, you, you know, there's this story that the mob never gets involved with drugs, and mainly they don't. 
but they 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 will on an occasion. It depends on the circumstance. So there was a guy, a Peckerwood, that's a non-Italian, named Kenny Sheets. And Kenny Sheets had gotten involved with a mob guy up in Omaha whose name was Tony and uh, in, a, in a drug deal. And, and he had this girlfriend who was a dope addict, and, and she got a case on her, and, and she set him up. Uh, for a government agent, uh, they had the Federal Bureau of Narcotics, I think, the FBN back then. And, and he made a, a hand-to-hand buy, I believe, with this undercover narcotics agent. So they had a federal case on Kenny Sheets. And and so he was willing to turn the Omaha mob guy, who was an Italian. His first name is Tony, and I do not know his last name. Uh, nobody would, you know, wouldn't recognize it anyhow. He was kind of a minor guy. And, and he was going to testify against him. And and one night during this time, you know, word got out that Kenny Sheets was going to testify, and he lived at 4501 Michigan. And he came home, and as he started to enter his house, the inside door opened, and shots rang out. He crumples and falls down, and the killers run off, or they think they're the killers they run off, but he didn't die. And he saw him, and he testified, and he named Tiger Cartarella and Felix Farina, who was Tiger's running buddy at the time, and, and named them. And he said that they hollered at him as they shot him, said, Tony says to say hello. And, and, and then ra- after they shot him, they ran off. Well, they thought he was dead. And this had huge headlines, because now you got Tiger and Felix are known as made members of the La Cosa Nostra in Kansas City and underlings of Nick Savella. So there's headlines all over the place. Mob hit. Well, and the guy survived. And the guy, well, yeah, they wouldn't have known who it was. It had just been one more dead narcotics dealer had, not, not got, had he not survived, because would, he would never have been able to name him. Well, and Nick was... Knocking him off because he thought he was going to... As a favor cut. as a favor for this Omaha. Oh, for the Omaha Yeah, mob. they were just doing a favor for the Omaha guy. They want to get rid of him as a witness. Uh, so he testifies, and, and they both got alibi witnesses, and Felix Farina was tried first and found not guilty. So they dropped the charges against Tiger. Uh, I, I guess right. both of these known mobs associates find an alibi through a witness. Right, right. They hired a guy, and one of them was Al Brandemeyer, who will surface later on as a partner in Brandemeyer and Savella Meat Company mm-hmm. about three or four years later. And uh, who was the other guy? It was another guy, a, a Peckerwood, a non-Italian, who also ended up in business with a mob guy later on. And the so, irony would be that uh, the Brandemeyer and Savella Meat Company would be held up at gunpoint. Held up at gunpoint, yeah. <laughs> later <laughs> by, on. By a Spiro associate. <laughs> and and, and Al, an attempt to hit on Al Brandemeyer, which is an interesting hit. A uh, few years later, Al Brandemeyer, who is this witness saying that uh, uh, Felix Farina was not where that Kenny Dale Sheets is, he was with him at that t- point in time. Uh, a few years later, he has this meat company, and he's a big gambler, and he has like $10,000 in cash. And so this underling of uh, a rival gang of the Savellas, the Spiro gang, they send this underling in, and he robs Al Brandemeyer, puts him in his trunk. And then uh, goes to kill him by shooting him through the trunk. Shoots back, and and actually, you know, I thought it was through the trunk. It was through the back seat, and and he shoots. He empties his gun. I think both guns. He had two guns through the back seat into the trunk, and never does hit Al Brandemeyer. And and he live survived to die of old age. Didn't, and you said didn't he hide underneath the spare? He got behind the spare tire. Yes. <laughs> he knew when he was in the trunk. Yes. That uh, wasn't good. <laughs> now. Felix Farina and Tiger Cartarella, by uh, 1984, both of these men are found dead in a secluded area of the city in their cars. Both of them, uh, I think, in the front seat. Tiger Tiger had had this company. I talked about this before, uh, touched on it, uh, and he screwed it up. Uh, he, he was selling records, stolen records. It is a big, well-known Tiger's Records, everybody of a certain age in this city has probably bought a cheap record album from Tiger's Records. He also was selling concert was there a, tickets. Was there a physical address for Tiger's Records? Yeah, oh yeah. I think it's, a, no, it's not my app yet. I've got pictures of it. I just haven't got it in. So it's about independence and uh, 
uh, uh, just west of a block east of Prospect. I can't remember that north. It's right on a street corner, but it, it's still there. It's a, The building's still there. building's still there, yeah. I've got a picture of it. I just need to get it in my app. So Tiger, uh, actually, I've done a Freedom of Information Act on Tiger. I'm going to try to do a whole big thing on Tiger because he's such an interesting character. Plus, in my movie, his son, Phil Carterell, is a lawyer who gives me some uh, uh, an interview in, in the film Gangland Wire. So um, anyhow, uh, uh, aside, uh, back from that aside, uh, Tiger had, uh, I think, my theory on why he got killed. And, and they had to lure him to a quiet place and kill him in his car. They strangled him. Well, they had both of them in the car. Well, this is a separate car. Felix oh. got killed a few months later. And, and was killed in his car okay. and then left in his car, too. But it was a few months later. Uh, uh, Tiger was strangled, probably from the back with a garrote. And and he, what he had done, he uh, the Tiger's Records had a huge business in selling concert tickets. If you want, this was before Ticketmaster and all that. If you wanted a ticket to Steve Miller Band or whoever, then you went to Tiger's Records. You had to go out the stadium, or you went to Tiger's Records, or Capers Corners, or one of the other record stores, and bought your tickets. So that was all cash money back then. He had a huge amount of cash money coming in. And, just and selling concert just tickets. Selling concert tickets. Well, a whole bunch of that money disappeared, and and the promoter, a guy named Herbie Palmer, was a promoter. He got screwed out of that money. They say thirty thousand dollars. I don't know, but this is just the story that went around at the time, and and I tend to believe it. Well, no uh, one reported it stolen. Well, no, you don't report it stolen. <laughs> <laughs> you think you think Herbie Palmer is going to go to the police and say, oh. Tiger Carterella stole my money. Isn't he a stand-up citizen and a promoter? No. Well, he is. He's not a criminal. But he knows that Tiger. He knows the deal. You know, he knows the deal. What good's it going to do? Police aren't going to, they're going to arrest Tiger Carterella for this crime that it, it, it's a, not sophisticated, but it's a hard-to-prove crime. How do you prove who took that money yeah. out of that business? Could have been any one of the employees. But you, they think maybe it was Tiger. Oh, yeah, we know it's Tiger. You know, it had to be, because that's Where'd why that he was money killed. money go? Because he screwed it. He, well, he was snorting cocaine at the time. Uh, <laughs> he, he screwed that up, and so they pulled the ticket business out of Tiger's, and, and that was a huge amount of, of, of you money. You mean they, they pulled Tiger's ticket? They pulled his ticket, exactly. They punched his ticket, and they punched it in more ways than one shortly after that. He was doing a lot of cocaine and running around with young girls. He was about 60 years old, and, and he just was not trustworthy anymore. His, his bookkeeper was Kathy Nigro, who was Willie Camasano's daughter. So that was Willie's operation, and she was in there to oversee. To make sure that it was. Right, make sure it was all done right. And then he, and she was reporting And he knew back. that. Tiger knew that, too. Sure. And he and so he would have, she would have been reporting back to Willie, hey, this guy's screwing up. He's not paying attention to business. He's never here. You know, uh, somebody else got to deal with the boosters that bring in the records. And so he's screwing it up. And, and, you know, and, and so, you know, they get together and say, here's what's going on with Tiger. Said, okay, we're going to hit him. we got to get rid of him. He's not trustworthy anymore. And then they hit Felix shortly thereafter. And I think because they were afraid Felix would retaliate for Tiger because they had been fall partners since they were young guys. So I, I really think that's why Felix was killed. But they were killed in the classic, what became the classic mafia way is you isolate them in their own car or in somebody else's car, stolen car, usually in their own car. So all the crime scene is inside that car. It's contained inside and, the car. And you just walk away from the car. Get it parked take in your, another take place. Take the murder weapon with you if it's take a gun it, or yeah, a Garrett. Take, yeah, or, or, you know, or you could leave it there and just make sure your prints aren't on it. It's a stolen gun. Just leave it there. No one gets suspicious when they're getting in the car and the other guys are all wearing leather gloves. <laughs> well, you probably do it. Yeah. You know, a guy like Tiger, you know, he, he probably drunk or doing cocaine and, and wasn't paying any attention. Or you got, they got to people he trusted. Got with people he trusted. Same way with Felix. So, uh, you know, and, and another one like that, and and this this one uh, started the whole River Key War, the David Bonadonna killing did the same thing. Uh, I won't go into the whole story of the River Key. Watch my movie if you want to know that, or read some of my blog entries. I write about it, and and certainly talk about it in uh, Gangland Wire. But but Freddie Bonadonna was a club owner, and he wouldn't do what the mob wanted him to do, what Willie Camasano wanted him to do, and it was over money. It's usually they kill somebody, it's usually over money. Mm -hmm. His father was a made guy who worked for Willie, 
or maybe he was a close associate. I'm not sure if he's actually had gone through the ceremony or not. Uh, but he, he was noted uh, as being. he was a professional criminal that did work for Willie Camasano on a regular basis. Shall we say he's part of Willie's crew. And so Willie called David up or got hold of him and said, you know, Freddie's got to do what we want him to do. He's got to give us some of that money he's getting for those parking lot rents, and he's got to quit resisting our guys getting clubs down the River Key. And and David asked Freddie, and Freddie said, no, Pop, I don't want him down here. I don't want any of those guys down here. They'll screw it up. It was this entertainment district. And he said, those mob guys will screw it up. And and so David had to go back to Willie. And Willie said, you know, David, uh, he could get hurt. And David said, well, if you're going to hurt my boy, you got to go through me. And sure enough, about, oh, maybe a month later, they had a meeting with Nick Savella, Willie Comisano and his brother Joe. And, and Nick said, you know, you do what you got to do. So shortly after that, David Bonadonna had a green Mustang, and, and Willie had a little club at 536 Monroe. Is that in your app? No, that's not my app. i got to add that you one, too. got to add that one, too. I've got a whole list of them. Remember to download the Kansas City Mob Tour app. Right, to, from yes. iTunes or I'm from gonna the Android. I'm going to add all these places I'm talking about in there. I'm, uh, I'm making a list now. I'm checking it twice. So David has his green Mustang, it's a standard transmission, and he pulls it into the garage. It's a freestanding building that has a garage door. It was probably used at one time as, you know, by a uh, guy that worked on cars. But right now it's just nothing but a big empty space with an office in it that Willie would use as his headquarters. All of these guys would meet over there periodically. I don't know if you ever watch The Sopranos, like everybody meets in the back of the uh, uh, sausage place and, mm-hmm. and or at Bada Bing. Well, this was Willie's clubhouse where everybody met with Willie. So David goes in there, and then green, there was a witness saw a green Mustang go in, and about an hour later, another witness that they interviewed later said, I saw that green Mustang backing out of there, and whoever's driving it is like they didn't know how to drive a stick. And about a week after that, they find the green Mustang uh, over at 8th and Euclid over in the projects, in the parking lot in the projects, and there's blood dripping out of the trunk is the reason why somebody even paid attention to it. And they opened the trunk, and there's David Bonadonna's body. So Willie obviously killed him inside that joint, inside that clubhouse, and threw him in the trunk, and then got somebody to drive him over there and leave the car Do you think there. they took him, David Bonadonna, to the clubhouse <laughs> no, I against think, his I, will? No, or I think he went think over there Willie, on his own. Willie called him and said, meet me at my right, clubhouse? Right. But didn't he know that it was a... Well, he should have, but, but you know, he, he probably thought he could smooth it all over. I think he thought he could smooth it all over. I mean, after he over. said you have to go through me, he didn't think that Willie the Rat would actually go I, through I, him. I, I think he didn't think he would. I think what, he, so, but I guess the reason to go after, um, go after him instead of the son, Freddie Bonadonna, was if they went after Freddie, who would be an easy mark, I would think. A lot easier, yeah, but uh, huge that, headlines. Then his dad would come be. Coming yeah. after him. Right. And, and yeah, well, huge headlines and a lot of publicity for killing a citizen, somebody that's not in the mob or not a criminal. Plus, then David was out there to come after him. Because after this happened, then in retaliation, there's a couple of friends of Freddie. Freddie's that then did an ambush. We're going back to the ambush now because kind of the gloves are off. Everybody is on edge. And, and you got the Spiro gang is in there and and they're they're like after the Savellas and the Savellas know that and the Savellas are after the Spiros, which is which which ended up being part of this whole Bonadonna thing. And so two guys, Sonny Bowen, who was an old partner of, of Carl Sparrow and and his buddy, they go up, they get a pattern on Johnny Green, who leaves his club. He has a club. Over in the, by now he has a club over in the River Key. He leaves his club about one thirty or two o'clock in the morning. He goes to Sambo's, which was a diner on Burlington up north of the river, and he meets Joe Comisano and his wife, and they eat breakfast, and then he drives home. He drives straight home, and it's about a block from Nick Savella's house, and, and 
these two guys, Sonny Bowen and Gary T. Parker, they take shotguns and they hide next to the house. And when he raises a garage door and drives in, then they step in behind him and they shoot him and kill him inside his car, inside his house. Well, the shit hit the fan. Again, we're, we are now done with isolating people and getting them to meet with friends and, and, and being able to trick them into that because the gloves are off all over the city. And I've talked to people today that they say the children of a lot of these people were like living in fear during this time. And, and the family members were living in fear. They didn't know who was going to get hit next. When they all lived in addresses that people in their community all knew where they right. lived. Right. They all knew where each other lived. Uh, the Sparrows mainly lived over in what we call northeast or <laughs> south of the river. And all the Sabellas people lived up north of the river in that one little area called Philomena Acres. But didn't Freddie Bonadonna go off into hiding? Yeah, he was off into hiding by now. He was out of it. He was never in it. He was like a pawn in all this thing. Because he wasn't really in the business. He was not a gangster. He was not a criminal at all. He was a pawn in all this. He ended up testifying against Joe and, and Willie and for extortion, trying to extort that parking lot money from him. But then he went in the witness protection program and, and died. He committed suicide in 2003, actually. He never came back. But uh, uh, so uh, they've killed and, and because the gloves are off, you can't isolate anybody. They've laid another ambush for Johnny Green. And then uh, during Johnny Green's wake, the Savella faction, then they find uh, Sonny Bowen, who was going around bragging how he had just killed Johnny Green up at his house. And they find him inside a bar at Armour and Broadway at, at Mr. O'Brien's. And uh, they immediately have a crew all set. They dispatch them, and they go down there and shoot him and, and kill him in that barn. And, and so, you know, Which this is just pretty surprising going. for, because now it's back out on the streets. Yeah, and, right. And it's all broad back. daylight. And, yes, and, and in front of witnesses and where police can drive up. But that's how that's how tense it got. So they, you know, there was one more like that with the. Uh, uh, Sparrow Brothers, and I talked about this before at the Virginia Tavern, where the three brothers are all caught inside the Virginia Tavern. They had a guy, uh, I believe it's John Crecio. Uh, With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Set them up. He knew they were all down there, and he called the uh, Savellas, and, and they, they already had a crew already together, just like at... Uh, for Sonny Bowen. See, what they do is they have a car, a stolen car. They have the guns, and they have them hidden someplace. And the mask and everything's all hidden and ready to go. And then when they get somebody set down, then they call each other, and they run to that car, and they get all that together, and they run over and do the hit. And then they then they go dump the car, dump the guns, and, and the mask and everything, throw it away. Now, with, that was before the modern DNA uh, science came in and and so uh, they couldn't get away with that today well, wait, but there were two guys sucker. that killed uh john amoro right parker t sonny bowen who they did catch right and they killed him now gary t parker that's now we start getting into bombs we haven't talked much about bombing and and see that's much more sophisticated i, I if you remember the first five podcasts were about the bombing the attempted bombing of tuppy de luna uh, uh, by the Sparrows. the Sparrows. They, they had a, a remote control bomb. But see, that's pretty sophisticated, and you can't always get that. Well, by now, the Savellas, because they're not able to to isolate these people anymore, it's very risky to go ambush them. What they did that, but that was only because it was, it was exigent circumstances. The Sparrows were actively trying to kill the Savellas, so they needed to start, they needed to do whatever they could do to stop that threat. So they were willing to take the chance to ambush him. Now, with, uh, with uh, Sonny Bowen ambushing him at, uh, at the bar in a public place, 
that was a payback because he had gone into the Sabella neighborhood and killed somebody in their home. So you don't ever kill somebody in their home. You don't bring it to their house. Now, Kitty Dale Sheets, they did it in his house, but he was a Peckerwood, so he had different rules. You can kill a non-Italian in their home. But, but Amaro you, was an Italian. An Italian. He was a mob guy. You don't go kill a mob guy in his home. And they so they shot Sonny Bowen a couple times in the head. That's why they had to get him as soon as they could. They had to make a point. They had to say, you know, you're not doing this stuff. This is wrong. And we got to get some order back in this Because if they did it, somebody else might come exactly, along Exactly. Exactly. And and same with the, the Savellas. The Spiros were not willing to go that far. They were more willing to play by the rules, but they were actively stalking these Spiros or the Savellas trying to kill them and, and and tried to plant that bomb on Tuffy down at the uh, uh, Villa Capri. Yeah, which you can, if you listen to the, it's like a three-part right. uh, episode podcast on the failed bomb attempt. Right. The very first, very first five episodes are in there. We'll explain that one. So now they're going to bombs. And so this Gary T. Parker, they still got to get him. Nick Savella calls a moratorium on all hits. You can keep stalking people, but you got to quit. You got to keep us out of the headlines because he had, he was on a 90 day evaluation by the, the uh, judge on an old gambling conviction. And they wanted to study him and look at his background and, and look at his health records. Cause he had ill health. He had cancer and try to figure out what an appropriate sentence would be for this old gambling conviction from 1970. And this is 1977, I think. And so they put a moratorium on all hits and, and he got sentenced to three years and, and within five days, this Gary T Parker, the other hit man on the Sonny or the, the Johnny green hit, is walking, he, he leaves his place of work, uh, Femco cabinets over about Truman and Jackson, um, not true, about 18th and Jackson, I think. He goes up to Truman and Jackson to Tony Mike's bar, which was Tony Mike Bonadonna, kind of a small world over here, isn't it? And he goes in and he cashes his check. It's a Friday afternoon. He cashes his check and he, and he gets, he buys a beer to go and he goes back out and, and gets in his car. And as he gets sets down the car, the car blows up, and it and it goes up so bad, so much dynamite or C4, I, don't, I think it was dynamite, that his torso ended up on the top of the building across the street. They had to go and find it. Had to go find it. There was like they're a missing hand. part of this guy. There's a hand laid out in the middle of the street, oh, and and there was a torso on that building. There was an arm over down the street. It was, was his car parked in front of the bar, and he walked up the, to it. Parked in the parking lot right next to it. Yeah. Or had he gotten in his car when he got off work and drove down there, stopped, got right. out. He, he drove. He got off of work. He always did this every Friday. Again, a pa- you know paycheck. what I said about yeah, a, pattern? a pattern. That's his pattern. He would he would leave that. Uh, uh, he would leave that bar and he would get his paycheck on Friday or he'd leave that business. He'd get his paycheck on Friday and go to that and bar and cash his check, get up here and, and maybe stay for a while, but he'd leave eventually. And so what I think they did, and they did the same thing with Carl Spiro a couple of years after that, they just got a remote control bomb, slid it underneath his car. And then when they sat back up the street, and hit the button whenever he got back to his back car. Back into the car. Right. Well, who And who was the guy that owned the bar? Uh, Tony Mike Bonadonna, who was Tony Freddie Mike. Bonadonna's brother. Yeah. But he's not a criminal either. But he just he was wouldn't a have bar made owner. a call for him to let he him know he, he was would, in the no, bar. No, he wouldn't have done that. I don't think he would. Well, they, sure if he they knew where he worked as a, as a regular job, it right. wouldn't be too hard to follow him. Exactly. I mean, it'd be easy to gather intelligence on a guy like that. And they just wanted, were they trying to make a point when they used that much explosive? I think just... so. Yeah, I think they wanted to make a point. They wanted to make an example. Again, he was the other guy that did the hit on Johnny Green in Nick Savella's neighborhood at Johnny Green's house. And how much? How many? How long did he live after that hit? Uh, you know, it was about. It was less than a year. Less than a year. He got Sonny Bowen just the next week, but uh, there was so much heat. We tried to follow the guy around to keep him alive for a while. Sonny Bowen. Sonny, no, not Sonny Bowen. Sonny Bowen was hit immediately after the hit, after the Johnny Green oh, but- hit. Parker T, his partner on the hit. You would follow him. We tried to we tried to get him into witness protection, and he wouldn't talk and about anything, and and he probably didn't know anything, and and he wouldn't let people follow him around. He did stuff like he jump, he'd stop and jump out of his car, and he had a toy gun, and he pulled it out and waved it around. He had an old crappy ass gun. He was in a hotel room, and the FBI was trying to babysit him, and 
and he was drunk and he pulled out this old crappy, you know, peacemaker looking Western kind of a gun that, that really wasn't much of a gun and, and was waving it all around. They finally just said, you're on your own partner. We can't do anything for you. <clears throat> they tried to set him up and isolate him. Like a guy came to him and, and uh, Woody, have you really had that much inf- inside information to no, share? No, he with didn't. Them? He really didn't. Uh, uh, Vince, Cap- Vince Pacone, uh, called him up. He was a Savella associate and said, Hey, he said, you know, I, I think I owe you some money or, and, uh, he said, well, he said, I don't know. So he got hold of an FBI agent he knew and told him this. So this guy says he's going to pay me some money back. Wants me to meet him down at the auditorium bar, <laughs> which was right behind the municipal auditorium at the time. And, and, and he said, I'm going to go down there and see what he wants. They said, you know, you better not partner because <laughs> he's trying to set you up. And, and so this guy is so dumb and, and he went down there, but he got down there and, and he smelled a rat and he got right back in his car and left. So, uh, you know, but that's, uh, you know, that's how it happens. That's, that's, that's how it works. And we haven't had one in a long time. Uh, I would say, uh, I can't even remember the last, uh, uh, when one of the last ones would have been the uh, at the Virginia Tavern. Virginia Tavern might have been uh, the Sparrow Brothers. Well, actually, Carl Sparrow, they used a bomb on him. He survived the Virginia Tavern <coughs> about, but, what, 1984, I think. I'd just gotten promoted to sergeant, I think, and, and was working dog watch. And... Uh, uh, on, back in patrol, I was out of intelligence by then, and, and he had a little car lot at 12th and Chestnut right there by the Shady Lady Lounge, a strip club over there. And he started a little used car lot and had a shack, and, and he uh, and he was in a wheelchair at that point in time. He'd been paralyzed from that attempted hit at the Virginian. He, he pulled up in his car and got out and started, went into that little shack, and they'd set a bomb with a remote control device on it underneath that shack and blew it at all the smithereens and, and killed Carl. He was the last Sparrow. Uh, you know, that he, they got. Uh, yeah, the other Sparrow, Joe, yeah, we talked about. I, I told you the demise of him. Uh, he had a storage locker, and they set a bomb over by that, and he had a bomb inside the storage locker. Right, that was the one up in Liberty. Up in Liberty, yeah. And so they set their bomb off as he went into his storage locker, which which had a what they call a sympathetic explosion of the other bomb inside. So it was a pretty good explosion, too, and, and killed Joe. Well, they must have had some inside knowledge to be able to, A, know where he had that locker, sure. what the locker was, and then somebody to allow them to get into it. Yeah. To plant their own bomb. I, actually, I think they set uh, the bomb in a box outside. I, I was told by a guy that worked the crime scene that there was a crater outside and an explosion inside. So I think as he opened the gr- the door, they had a, a remote control device on a box, a bomb in a box. Sitting there. He just didn't pay attention to the box. He opened the door and they set off that bomb, which then set off the other bomb inside. That was inside. That was his bomb. Well, so it was that. Yeah, it's... Uh, <laughs> It's uh, very exciting, all this stuff, and very well, dangerous. Well, they just had, they still had all that explosive because they were still trying to kill. They still wanted to kill Tuffy DeLuna. Tuffy DeLuna. They still wanted to kill Tuffy. Joe Spiro was not going to give up. He'd already killed two of his brothers, Nick and Mike. Um, well, did Joe go then before his dad? You mean before his older brothers, Carl? Carl. Joe, uh, God, now I can't remember. I think Joe went before Carl. Carl was the last Spiro standing when he got bombed at the car lot in 1984. So that's kind of um, a story of hits in, in Kansas City. We haven't had one in a long time. We had a guy, uh, the most recent thing that would even be close to a hit, and I'm not sure if it was just a robbery, if he had a lot of money, or it was a hit. There's a guy that was a gambler named Harold. God only knew him as Harold. Harold, and he had been, he had run a sports book, in his past, he had a restaurant up north of the river at one point in time when I knew about him. And I'd kind of lost track of him. I was out of the intelligence unit by then. And he went to uh, the boats one night, uh, one of the casinos, and and he went, came home. And as he walked up to his house, somebody killed him on his front. Lo- front uh, he parked in the driveway and then was walking up to his house and somebody's laying in wait for him and killed him there. And, and uh, uh I would say that was probably a mob-sanctioned hit because he had been a sports bookmaker at one point in his life. 
uh, I was, like I said, I was kind of out of intelligence by then and not in the loop on things, and I didn't really ask. But just because he ran Sportsbook that made him a suspect to be killed because right, maybe right. he would turn state's evidence or... For whatever or reason, maybe or they, maybe he, he cheated somebody. Maybe he was uh, skimming off of the sports book. He could have been, yeah, any of those. Probably, probably skimming off the sports book. If he had a gambling problem himself. Right, more than likely that was a deal. Because I, I, the, the word was on the streets, shall we say, this was a young mob guy that hadn't made his bones yet that did this thing. And they had a, they had a video at the casino that showed this guy. This young guy with a hoodie on walking out right behind him, and and everybody swears it was this one guy who I will not mention because it's not fair. <laughs> he he, we he was know. never convicted. He no never charges convicted, were ever brought never, against no, him. No, there was never enough evidence. Um, there was another kid named Strata that was getting ready. Uh, not Larry Strata. No, yeah, well, I think it was Larry Strata. He was a bookie. This was uh, this was before that one. This was probably '85, maybe. He was a bookie, and he they did a gambling investigation and got him in, and he had offered to do a deal, and the word got back out somehow. He probably told somebody himself, and and he went home and and uh, went back out in the front yard or the front. For some reason, he went back out in front at night, and somebody was laying in wait for him and killed him. That was the last one, was Larry Strada. His brother was a Strada that was a chief, was one of the chief's football players, John Strada. But Larry Strada was doing bookmaking? He was, he was, he was bookmaking, yeah. And he, he was being charged with bookmaking. He, he was out on bond, and, and he had just made a deal, what we call did a proffer with the U.S. Attorney's Office to... Uh, Plead guilty for a reduced sentence and and uh, in exchange for information. In exchange for information. But how would they know the that? Why would out. why would he tell he told, me? He told somebody. Why would he tell Cause anybody? Because half these guys are dumber. They must be because they see what happens to everybody else. They're who, dumber than a box of rats. Yeah, they well they, they get they, they get whacked. They have somebody that they think's their friend, who's not their friend. Yeah. Same guy that might get him in a car and get him set up, you know, that's, you know. Or they, ask him to call him and say, hey, can I, I'm, I'm going to pull yeah. up by your place. Can you come outside for a minute? Now, I have, I have a lawyer who swears that, who's mad about the deal, who swears that, that the U.S. attorney, they didn't leak it out intentionally, but they they did something that he he believes that the U.S. attorney made a mistake. They did something that allowed people to, wrong people to see that he was making this deal, but I don't really buy that. I think he probably went back out and told somebody and, and said, oh, got that over with now, man. I'm kind of in a world of shit, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm going to have to give him some information, but I, I can't go to jail. So that's the deal is people go, these guys, they get a case, and they go around and say, you know, I can't go to jail. Well, you know what, that that's a death sentence for you. And a couple of times they used, um, two times they've used African-Americans. They always use uh, uh Made guys always, except two times that I know of, they've used an African-American hit crew. One was down in Oklahoma and one was a guy uh, uh, who was a drug dealer and and was a thief and, and a fence and, and had made the statement. And a guy named Michael Cattu, he had made the statement that he had caught a case for dealing a stolen truckload of blue jeans. And he made the statement that he was not going to jail again for anybody. And he was also dealing drugs at the time. And, mm-hmm. and two black guys came into his bit place of business and made it look like a robbery, but they didn't really take anything because it was a body shop and there wasn't really anything to take. And they killed him. And and then and and guess who was at his funeral? Our friend Jimmy Duarte. And then guess who? Uh, uh, there's two black hit men that. Uh, did a hit down in Oklahoma. Guess who has connections into Oklahoma? Jimmy Duarte. Jimmy Duarte. I swear, I know Jimmy Duarte ordered that hit on uh, and and arranged that hit on uh, Michael Cattu, but you could never prove it. Yeah. So and no uh, one ever knew who the hitmen were. No, they never did. Uh, uh, Jimmy, uh, he had a black contact up in Detroit. He had met in the penitentiary when he was in Leavenworth. I was doing a surveillance on him, and this black guy, it's really unusual to see a black guy 
uh, go talk to a mob guy one-on-one. And, and so this guy pulls up. He's got a Michigan license plates on a kind of a, a – wasn't a Cadillac. It was probably a Buick. It was kind of an upper-end car. And, and get out at Jimmy's uh, – Jimmy was kind of holding – court at this one particular used car lot for a while and and we were on him watching and see who came to see him and and there's a black guy that got out and talked to him for quite a while and then left and we checked the plate and it was a guy who had uh, was a professional criminal in detroit who had been uh, uh in the penitentiary with jimmy and and so the word on the hit down in oklahoma was these two black guys were hit men from detroit and, and now there wasn't any word on the one in kansas city other than we just there was witnesses and they said it was two black guys that came in, mm-hmm. went into the office, you know, started talking to him. Then all of a sudden they shot him all up and killed him and ran off. And, you know, that's, that's a hit. And the witnesses were really just people that were in the they neighborhood. Were, they were, no, they were employees at the body shop. Oh, okay. But they, you know, they weren't necessarily in the they were, office with him. No, they were witnesses, but they were not good witnesses. Yeah. They were never going to pick anybody out. They were never going to testify. Not really, were, because they also they knew were the, part of the whole deal. Yeah, yeah. they know better than testifying a deal like that. They didn't have taken a ride. Yeah, and then, and then Johnny Francovilla. We had a guy named Saul Landy back in the set, uh, late '60s, who was a gambler again, and he had made a deal. He was going to testify, and he he could have given up. Nick Savella, more than likely, he'd had some face-to-face dealings with Nick Savella. It's kind of unusual. Nick would have face-to-face dealings with a Peckerwood, a, a, a non-Italian who was mm-hmm. not a made guy. But he had enough that they were afraid he could give up Nick, and he was going to testify. And and what was funny was it wasn't they weren't that worried about him what he knew. Because there's a guy named Johnny Francovilla who was not even a, he was just an associate and he wanted to impress the upper people in the, in the mafia. He wanted to impress the Savellas and Tuffy. And so he hired a guy named, uh, 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 what was it? F- uh, I want to say Franklin Jefferson. He was a black guy who hired two young black kids, teenagers or early twenties and said, here's where this guy lives. Uh, we want you to go in and kill him and make it look like a home invasion robbery. So they went in, they raped his wife, they killed him, they took some stuff and left. But uh, as uh, uh, luck would have it, they talked. They talked to their friends, and they got him in, and they confessed, and and they gave— They actually caught the kids. Yeah, they caught the kids, they confessed, they got the guns, and they said, yeah, we were told to go in and kill this guy and make it look like a robbery. So then they gave up— the 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 black guy that that recruited them, who then in turn gave up Johnny Francovilla, but Johnny Francovilla wouldn't give up anybody. But the the word on the street again from the top echelon informants to the bureau was that this guy just did this on his own. That was not a sanctioned hit. Nick Savella did not approve of this, and so he's just he's on his own. And and they both all took convictions and. And went to jail for. They caught a case and caught a case for basically the rest of their life. They're all dead now. So but they spent the last years of their lives in prison. Right. Yeah. I don't know what happened to the young kids. That'd be an interesting uh, follow-up. See if they might. They could still be around. They may have gotten eventually gotten out. Frank Avilia definitely would be dead. He was an older guy back then, and so was the other black guy that he contracted with to get the young kids to and do it. What year was this? I want to say 1968 or 69. Uh, late 60s. M- maybe it was after the the big bust in 1970. It might have been after that. There was a big gambling bust in 1970, which uh, Nick took a, a got a caught a case on because he was caught on the wire down at the trap down at the social club and Fifth and Truce, which is on my app by the way. If you want to go see the Italian American Social Club at Fifth and Truce, why it's still down there and there's a picture of it and it's on my app. A lot of these places are just empty lots. Yeah, yeah. That that one's actually there. It's a it's a vacant building, but at least it's it's still there. All right. What about that? Uh, where the um, garage was at? 
It's still there. It, it looks just exactly like it did back when I used to drive around it and write down license plate numbers. I got a picture of it and everything. And it's in your app. And it will be in my app <laughs> shortly. <laughs> I only have so much time, Aaron, sometimes. <laughs> I need to play golf every once in a while, yeah, too. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure you do. you got to get out there and, and have enjoy the rest of your life. I have to enjoy the rest of my life. I have to go take care of a traffic ticket or two. Hey, you people need traffic tickets. I'm your guy for traffic tickets. I'll take care of them. It's actually an attorney as well as a retired police officer. <laughs> And right, you will. If you think you're going to die, you know, uh, you might die someday. I, I'll be happy to write you a will. All right, let's uh, let's widen this down now. Um, uh, Give a hand for our, our a mention for your uh, sponsor for the podcast. My sponsor? Is, uh, uh, oh, oh yeah, the uh, sponsor for the podcast. My favorite uh, nonprofit, a little public service announcement we do each week. Uh, if you have a loved one, a spouse, a child, a grandparent, uh, a sibling, uh, an employee, or somebody you care anything about, and they seem to have a problem with alcohol or drugs or any kind of addiction, gambling addiction is a big one, why, I want you to call First Call. First Call uh, is a nonprofit that, that can hook you up with all the best resources to deal with addiction problems, whether it be inpatient treatment, outpatient treatment, uh, counselors, uh, they're experts on addiction. Uh, they're, they're a great nonprofit. You can call them at 816-361-5900. Uh, they have a website, www.firstcallkc.org, and they have a Facebook page. Just uh, search for First Call in, in Facebook. And also download the uh, Kansas City Mob Tour app, which is available for Android and for the iPhone. Correct. And we have a special event, a live podcast, November the 4th at 6 until 9. It, the recording will be 7 till 9. It'll be a meet and greet with myself and Aaron and our special guest, Terrence O'Malley, the producer of the documentary film Black and Straw Man, which tells the history of organized crime in Kansas City. And we're going to talk about the mob and politicians in Kansas City because that's the day after Election Day. Did I leave anything out there, Aaron? Uh, cover charge is $5, and you can get your tickets online at ganglandwire.com. Backslash store. Backslash store. <laughs> Or just go to the shop page. Or just make a donation. And make a donation. Put a hit out on the donate button. If you like what you hear, why, uh, we need some help to keep paying for these studio costs and to... Uh, Freedom of Information uh, Freedom Act. of Information Act request and those kinds of things. Uh, anyhow, so... And don't forget to buy the Gangland Wire DVD. Oh, yeah. Or you can rent it on Amazon. Although you'd rather have them buy I'd the rather game. have you buy or, it. <laughs> and get, you could get the shirt. And get the shirt. If you make a $25 more donation, I'll send you a Gangland Wire t-shirt or a DVD, whichever you want. Just let me know. And if you get the t-shirt, uh, send me an email and uh, let me know your size. You can do that through my uh, contact page on uh, either my app or on my uh, website. And you can uh, leave a review if you enjoy the podcast. Oh, God, I wish you'd have leave an a opinion. Review. Yes, please re you, leave a review. <laughs> something you think about that this is entertaining to you, uh, get out there and, and leave us a review on the iTunes. Yeah, or, or the app, too. Leave a review on the app. This is how it goes up in the iTunes pecking ranking. order ranking, too, so you can seek, so you can find it easier, and, uh, and they will... Uh, People can can search for it and find it quicker if there's more more, more reviews. reviews and if they're good reviews it's even better. But I'm gonna leave that up to you. I'll send you a DVD if you'll leave a review on that um, um, podcast for free. Just get hold of me and say you did it. You got to see it up there on the iTunes. I'll see it. I'll find it. You tell me you did it, and I'll go see it, and then I'll send you a free DVD. <laughs> All right, Aaron. Let's let's get out of here. All right. Thank you, Gary. Thank you, Eric. Good night.